Good morning and uh, welcome. Glad you're here today. Uh, this is for the sake of those who might watch this a little bit later. We got a really small crowd today. And um, I was uh, reading some research this past week by Tom Rainier, who does uh, research on churches. And one of the one of the negative byproducts of churches providing online services is what we see here today. Uh, we're having smaller crowds in churches all over the country. On top of it being summertime, uh, people have that luxury of being able to sleep in and watch service a little bit later on or going to their activity and watching the service in the evening. But let me just say, I miss you here. And if you're watching this online, I want to say to all you folks who are here, I love seeing your faces and your smiles, and I'm so glad you're here this morning. Otherwise, I'd be super, super depressed. But I was praying about that this morning as I was walking around, and God was just uh, kind of laying it up on my heart to uh, just remind us as I, I saw those uh, studies this week that there nothing, there's no substitute for actually being face-to-face with one another. And even though the COVID and the government and everything around us seems to suggest we need to stay away from one another, it might be time for us to put our faith and our trust back in the Lord and as safe as we can gather together with one another in service to Him and honor to Him and fellowship to Him and worship to Him. Because here's the thing we forget. We will not be healed without God. So we cannot ignore Him. And we cannot ignore what He's given us, which is the church, uh, to help us through times of struggle and times of uh, crisis. So remind your friends, family, call someone from your church family this week and tell them you missed them. Uh, we'll try to make that known in every avenue that we can as well. And uh, we just uh, appreciate you being here as uh, representatives of our church family. Well, today we're wrapping up. Well, not really wrapping up because we're going to continue through this summer uh, some of the applications of this. But we're going to conclude our uh, Luke 3 and Me uh, series of sermons on uh, the genealogy of Jesus because now we've come to Jesus. Last week we talked about Joseph and Mary and uh, as mom and dad of Jesus. And uh, we covered that 400-year period between uh, the time that Malachi wrote and Christ was born. Uh, and there were a lot of names in there that we have no historical um, information about. We just know that they were faithful in living their lives to bring about the coming of the Christ so as we come to the end of the genealogy study that we find in Luke chapter 3, we come to the name of Jesus. And we just have to say that Jesus is the point of everything that was written from the beginning of Adam to the time that Christ came. It really was all about Jesus. It was all pointing to Jesus, and Jesus is the point of all that is written. That's why we talk about this series as being about the Christocentric narrative of humankind. Christ is the sinner. It is all about him. Now there's a reason why we need to talk about Jesus and why Luke wrote about Christ and the other gospel writers wrote about him and then those who wrote in the rest of the New Testament wrote about him. And that is because Christ had to come. Because Adam and Eve failed in their purpose, their created purpose, and every one of us have failed just like them in our created purpose. 
Now, I don't want you to be bummed out today because we're in good company when it comes to failing our creative purpose. Everybody that we read about in the Old Testament, from Abraham to King David uh, to you name it, they, they uh, had a creative purpose that they failed in because they sinned. Because our created purpose, as we're going to discover today, is to bring glory to God and live in His glory. And my hope today is that I can prove to you so that you can share with someone else that they have fallen short of that created purpose of glory that God has for them. And that the only way for them to have that fulfilled is for them to believe in Christ because the very reason He came, the point of Jesus is this. That is to fulfill our created purpose for us so that as we live through him, we can once again live in God's glory and give glory to God and then then enjoy the glory of God in our lives. Now when I first started preaching a long time ago, it's uh, coming up here on 40 years now that uh, I started preaching, probably longer than that when I preached my very first sermon. But there was a simple rule that I was encouraged to follow, especially when I got into speech class in Bible college. If I wanted to have effective communication, I needed to follow what was called the, was the KISS rule. The KISS rule. Anybody know what the KISS rule is when it comes to speaking? It is keep it simple, stupid. You, know, you can say sweetie, that's not how I was taught it. And I was, uh, I was kind of, uh, as I was doing some research on this, I found out that the Navy, they changed it, they flipped it a little bit and coined it this way, keep it stupid simple. And when I was thinking about this idea of how God has communicated to us, we need to apply the KISS rule. We need to keep it very simple, especially for the world in which we live today. And if we follow this, this uh, rule of communication then we need to be perfectly clear with everyone that we know, again, that Jesus is the point of existence. And the reason that's important these days is because most people, that's not even on their radar most days. It even has impacted you. As a Christian, you know Jesus is the point, amen? We know that everything that has happened has happened because He is the the center of our story. The Christocentric narrative of humankind is is the point of all, and, and really, as the Navy had said to us, it is stupid simple. I mean, anyone can understand it. Adam and Eve fulfilled or failed to fulfill their creative purpose when they believed the serpent, and since then, we've been listening to that silver-tongued devil sins. That forked tongue lies to us every day. And we believe the serpent, and on a simple, fundamental level, what we do is we disobey God by eating of our own forbidden tree. Now we know what God tells us that we shouldn't do and what we should do. And the things that we should do, those are the things that will bring us joy and help us to live in His glory. And the things that we shouldn't do if we do them, they bring curse and difficulty and sorrow to our lives. And sometimes we're just like Adam and Eve. Eve was in the garden, serpent slivers slivers up to her and says, "Uh, surely you will not die. God just doesn't want you to be like Him. And so she ate the tree, she gave some to Adam, and there we go. 
They failed their created purpose, which was to give glory to God in their living so that they could enjoy the glory of God in their life. They lacked nothing. They were in the Garden of Eden. They had everything. They didn't even have to work at that time. There was no pain. There was no sorrow. There was nothing. They were living in perfection. And yet the devil convinced them that they could be better or they could be greater. And the devil does the same thing to us today on many levels. He tries to convince us that we need to eat of our forbidden tree. So we continue to sin in the same way when we believe Satan and we disobey God in any aspect of what he has told us we should do. And our collective failure requires help in fulfilling our created purpose once again because God grieves over the fact that we're not living out our created purpose. Just imagine that. God created us for glory. And we've fallen short of that. And so he has given us a way that we can still enjoy his glory and live in his glory and give glory to him. And that is the point of why Jesus Christ came into this world is because you have failed just like Adam and Eve has failed and I have failed. Jesus was anointed and appointed to proclaim the good news that we can be saved from our failure. He came to proclaim that we can have freedom over those sins that enslave us. And he came to proclaim that we still can enjoy God's favor over us because he lavished his love on us and his grace on us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said as much in his hometown of Nazareth, recorded in Luke 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 18 through 21, when he said... The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now he was reading from Isaiah here, the prophet. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him because, because he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was proclaiming here that he was the fulfillment of the prophecy of, of Isaiah, which was to proclaim the facts about life and the freedom that we have and the favor that God still offers us. Jesus made this claim as he was beginning his official ministry. And those who heard it were doubtful and questioned his pedigree. They said, isn't this Joseph's son? Don't we know his brothers and sisters? His statement is significant because Jesus indicates his purpose for coming to the world. And we can't just gloss over that. His purpose was to make those of us who have failed in our created purpose aware of the facts. And the fact is that God, the good news, is that we can find salvation even in our failure. He has given us the freedom 
in our created purpose. And that is that even though we failed and we fall short of the glory of God, he can release us from our enslavement. He can give us sight again where we can see how to live in that glory. And we can be free of the oppression of Satan as he holds us back. And then we have the favor of God that helps us fulfill our created purpose because we know we're living in grace. Because each of us have sinned like Adam and fallen short of the glory of God that he created for us, we really just deserve death. But Christ provides fulfillment of our created purpose. Romans chapter 5, verse 17, I love this verse. It says, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one, one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? See, our, here's our choice. We're created to succeed, to live in God's glory, to give Him glory. We have failed that, and we can either choose to continue to be like Adam in that and let death reign over us, or we can allow God's abundant provision through His Son Christ, through the gift of grace and righteousness, to reign in our life through Jesus Christ. Now, which would you rather do? And remember, there's no choice. I mean, there's no uh, middle ground in this. You're either living uh, uh, where death is reigning over you or you're allowing righteousness and grace to reign in your life through Christ. Let's keep this stupid simple. Since we have failed our created purpose to give and live in God's glory, we needed help from God to fulfill our created purpose through Christ. Romans 3, 23-24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God has made available to each of us who have failed in our created purpose, who have fallen short of the glory that He planned for us and continues to want us to live in. He justifies us through Christ, by His grace, through the redemption that came through Christ. Jesus shed His blood. He redeemed us. He bought us with a price so that we would no longer have to live in failure, but to live in fulfillment. Your created purpose is to live in the glory of God and to give glory to God and in that find your fulfillment in life. We deserve death. We don't receive what we deserve. Romans chapter uh, uh, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're not getting what we deserve when we're justified freely by grace. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's the point of the Christocentric narrative of Christ Jesus for humankind. And that is that we have failed in our creative purpose... And God has given us a way for us to be fulfilled in that created purpose. And that comes through Christ Jesus. That is the fact of life that we need to be aware of. We are made aware of the fact of this through the good news, through the gospel message of Jesus. That message gives us freedom. Because we can understand that we're free from sin. We're freed from our prison, our enslavement to lies and deception. That we're no longer oppressed by Satan in any way. 
and that we are part of, we're living in the favor of God's, uh, in the, the year of our Lord's favor because we know that we are living in the day of eternity. We have eternal life enjoying God's favor. Now Jesus proclaimed his purpose to fulfill our created purpose and immediately was dismissed by those in his hometown of Nazareth. As a matter of fact, if you read on in the story, it gets kind of ugly. They rejected the pedigree of Christ. Who was he to sit there and say that he was, I mean, he was just a kid from Nazareth, just a kid from his own hometown, from their own hometown. How could he be the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah? People want to reject Christ still today. They think, well, how can this Bible stuff actually help me? How can it work? How can it make any difference? I just don't get it. But the Bible is very clear as we keep this stupid simple that there's no other way for us to be redeemed or redeem our created purpose than to believe in Christ, confess and repent of our sins, and then live in God's glory. Acts 4.12 reminds us that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. Even though there are a lot of voices out there in our world today saying to us, listen, you don't need the church. You don't need Christ. You don't need to be a Christian. We can save ourselves. They're just lying because there's no other name under heaven or earth by which we can be saved from failing in our created purpose. And we know that when we fail in our created purpose without the redemption of Christ, the wage of that is death. And not only are we living with death reigning over us, but we are punishing ourselves as we deny ourselves the very glory that God wants us to live in. A subtle little difference. It really is all about perspective. And the very reason Luke penned his gospel was to draw up an account of the things Jesus fulfilled. If you look at Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4, Luke explains why he is writing his gospel message. And he says, many have, undertaken the, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully and investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. The certainty. Jesus is the fulfillment. Now, you could do a, a big study on all the prophecies that were fulfilled by Christ. There are a lot of good works, a lot of good sermons about that. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus, uh, if you calculated um, the, the odds of one single man being able to fulfill those prophecies, it's so astronomical that it would just be impossible. But Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies. And our Luke 3 and Me sermon series is based upon what Luke says in Luke 3, 23 through 38, where he's continuing to give an account of why Jesus is the fulfillment. 
He provides a genealogical account of the pedigree of Christ. And it simply determines that the man, Jesus of Nazareth, was a seed of Abraham and a son of David. And then Jesus would prove through his perfect life and the fulfillment of all the prophecies made about him and through the resurrection that he was the son of God, the seed of Abraham, and the son of David that scripture promised would bring about the blessing and salvation of all nations. And our study has helped us better understand the common struggles and solution, solutions God offers to us in our failure of created promise. We have looked at Adam. We have looked at Noah. We have looked at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and others. And we've seen that when they failed in their created purpose, the one thing they still did was to continue to point things towards the Messiah, the salvation, the coming one. And hopefully, you've observed the principles and patterns set forth that can help us live as children of God. Namely, to call upon the name of the Lord as our creator and to walk faithfully with him. Now, just a sidebar. Here in July and August, we're going to do the how-to series. And this kind of inspired by James here, who after we did the the Noah message about my, uh, my seven to heaven hashtag to offer a class on how that's actually done. I appreciated him doing that. And then when COVID came, it kind of threw a wrench into those particular works. So it got me to thinking about going back and looking at some of the main things that we've talked about and talking about how to fulfill those in our lives specifically right now. So next week, we're going to dig into this verse we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. So I'll tell you that one. But we'll also dig into the how to call upon the name of the Lord, what that means, what that looks like. And we'll, talk, uh, we'll also dig into how to walk faithfully with God, what that means, what that looks like. Because we enjoy the DNA of God coursing through our blood as created image bearers designed to give him glory and to enjoy his glory in our lives. And we are most miserable when we fail to honor him and to enjoy what he has blessed us with. But sometimes we forget or we become confused by this world of our created purpose and we fail to live out our potential, we panic, we sin, we eat of the forbidden tree, thinking that God is not giving us what we need, that we need more, that we're missing out. And it makes me think about how we are forgetting and being confused by a lot of things right now. I mean, we're living in kind of a a weird time, I'll call it bizarre world. But as we live in this kind of weird time, we're becoming confused by others about what it means to be even citizens of the United States of America as envisioned by our founding fathers. Daily you have someone on the news or in a newspaper, or an article or magazine questioning the very uh, foundational principles by which, by which we were founded. 
So we see people bending the knee and dismantling our history, calling everyone whatever name is convenient of for that particular day to undermine the history of our country. And when we dismantle our history and when we bow the knee, and I preached a few weeks ago, never bend the knee, we always only bend the knee in submission and prayer to our Lord as we're bending the knee and dismantling things as we've talked about we must remember that to which we have been called. And it's time for us in the church and it's time for us as citizens to stand up with confidence and courage against any who would threaten it. Just because there's a lot of loud voices out there of people who will call you names doesn't mean that you should hide. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, if we live our lives with integrity and seriousness, genuineness, those people who slander us will be ashamed of their slander or they'll be made ashamed of what the names they've called us. That's why it's so important for us to remember again our created purpose. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week in terms of the preservation of freedom as Americans, but our created purpose as human beings, as humankind, is to live in holiness Set apart as adopted children of God. We blew it. We were all God's children in the garden. And then Adam and Eve sinned and then we've sinned in their likeness. And we were separated from our father. But there was always a plan in place. God always had a solution. Ephesians chapter four, 1, chapter 1, verse 4 through 14 talks about that solution. If you have your Bibles, I want you to look at these verses with me because it's a lengthy passage here and I can't put it all up on the screen. Ephesians 1, 1, 4 through 14 says this, For he chose us in him before what? Before what? The creation of the world. When was that? That was before all things were created. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? Holy in what? Blameless in His sight. This is before the creation of the world. He chose us to be holy and blameless. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. This is all God has ever wanted for us. And this would be to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. That's Jesus. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring, all, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." And in Him we were chosen also, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His what? Glory. 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His what? Glory. Our created purpose was messed up when we ate of the forbidden tree, when we, like Adam and Eve, instead of trusting God, we trusted what the world was saying to us, that we could have something better. And in our disobedience to God, we fell short of what God's glory was intending for us. So through Christ, this has been the plans since the very beginning, through Christ then, we have redemption. The fulfilled fact is even before the world was created, we were purposed to be set apart by God to live as his children according to his pleasure and will for his glory. Our fulfilled freedom is found in the redemption and forgiveness that is ours through Christ according to the rich grace lavished upon us. And our fulfilled favor is conforming to the purpose of God's will as we are included in Christ's story and sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. Our failure of created purpose is restored by the fulfillment of created purpose that comes through Christ, and that is the point of the Christocentric narrative of humankind. That's what the Bible story is all about. And we either choose to be restored by Him in our created purpose, or we continue to live in the failure caused by a rejection of God expressed through our sin. Please choose wisely. This does require effort on our part, even as we enjoy living in God's rest. Paul told his Philippian friends in Philippians 2, Verse 12 through 16, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. It might seem like we're living in, as I said, bizarro world right now. But God has always provided a way for us to fulfill his good purpose in our lives. And we might think culturally things are bad right now, but listen... Comparatively, if you compare to the times that Paul was writing, we still have such a sweet, sweet uh, um, situation, circumstance in which we live. We just need to be better at talking about Jesus. We must work daily to apply our salvation in Christ to our experience and do so in respect and reverence of God. 
We must resist the temptation to be like the rest of the world and just grumble and argue about everything. Have you noticed that's the kind of the tenor of everything these days? It should be our blameless and pure living that will shine like the stars at night. And when it's all said and done, when Christ returns, we can boast that it was all worth it. Do you guys remember the days of Walter Cronkite? I know Zoe can remember Walter Cronkite. Those were the days when you had 30 minutes of news and 30 minutes of news, and then that's all the news you had. The rest of the news you got from the newspaper. But now we have so many different news channels, and you can pick whatever poison you want to you watch. And normally we pick the channels that kind of sound most like what we think. So if it's CNN or MSNBC or Fox or whatever you want to listen to, here's what they do most of the time. They tell you something has happened and they spend the rest of the time, 30 minutes or an hour, talking what, about what they think it means and the impact that it's having. So we get a lot of opinions a lot of people who like to grumble and argue about everything. And this is not by uh, happenstance or accident. They put these combative voices uh, against one another. And one of the best illustrations of those combative voices be a show uh, like The View that some people watch. I don't know why, but some would. It's just about arguing, grumbling, about. And if you watch these people and you did them, you had held them accountable for the things that they said and you gave them a grade based upon the accuracy of their opinions and thoughts, all of them, with the exception of the few, would be getting an F. But they don't care. Now, would it be nice, I know for you students that are here today, would it be nice if your teacher just didn't care the mistakes that you made on your tests and just said well you know um, I know that that was a week or so ago and that was wrong but today's a new day and let's just see how you do today wouldn't that be great yeah it's not because if we're not held to accountability for the words that we speak we all get involved in this grumbling and arguing that takes place our duty is to be living such blameless and pure lives that we shine like stars at night. And when it is all said and done, when Christ returns, we can boast that it was all worth what we did. Now, I think our current test as God's children is to be found without fault in this warped and perverse time in which we live. This is our greatest witness but studies show, and done by George Barna, comparing the church and the way that we live, comparing the way the rest of the world lives, there's very little difference. So how are we shining like stars? Paul's word gives us insight into what we should look for in this world that is confusing us and darkening our brilliance. The thinking of our culture is as warped as the backbone of someone with scoliosis. You ever know anybody with scoliosis? It means that they have curvature of the spine, they can't stand up straight, and you know they're bent way, way over. 
If you know Doris Knapp, she's got a friend that's got that kind of appearance. I don't know if she has scoliosis, but she's been so far over that she, you can't, she can't even stand up straight. As a matter of fact, the Greek word Paul used for warped here is the same word we use for scoliosis. It's scolios. And then he used the word for crooked, uh, meant twisted, meant uh, twisted through, diastrepho. You twist, but you're twisting it through, so it just becomes warped. So we must guard our thinking against the warped and perverted reasonings of our day, which just suggests good things are bad and bad things are good. Paul would go on to advise his Philippians friends in chapter 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Is that what you've been thinking about? Is that what the world wants you to think about? Now look at those words. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy. The next time you watch anything or you read anything or you hear anything, ask yourself these things. Is this true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it praiseworthy? And if it's not, don't think about it. It's even been suggested that if you are getting depressed by all the bad news that's going on around you, just stop watching news altogether for a week and you'll realize that you can survive without it and you feel so much better in the process. But we get caught up in the grumbling, the murmuring that takes place in culture and all the arguing and the debates. Now here's the thing. As God does encourage us to reason with one another, and so there are times that we need to debate, but we should never argue with each other or murmur against one another because that compromises our witness and our purity. It's kind of like, you know, when you argue with a toddler, you know, if you're a parent or a grandparent. When you argue with a toddler, it's like, have you ever seen someone get defeated by a toddler's reasoning? It does happen, right? But that's what happens in the world when we argue with the world. We just get worn down because they might say why or because or why, 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 why over and over and over again. And then we just give in or can I, can I, can I, no, can I, no, can I, no, can I, no. Well, will we? No. Will we? No. And then eventually, okay. And I've seen this with my own grandchildren. Just, um, It's difficult to watch. So when we're arguing with those in the world, we're arguing with those who have no perspective, no experience, no real uh, wisdom that is guiding them. They're just arguing for the sake of argument because they can put together a couple of words that sound like they know what they're talking about. But any fool can make an argument sound legitimate when there's no absolute truth or standards by which we're bound. If you don't have to be held accountable to your words, you can say whatever you want today... And it won't make any difference tomorrow, but you've already done the damage in making others question what is true, what is right, what is noble, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. 
You can expect that any fine-sounding philosophy offered by this world that denies submission to our Creator is warped and twisted, and it serves the schemes of Satan in our world today. Now, examples of such arguments around us in the name of like equality and equity have been going on the last since the riots and since all the things that have been happening, the protests. And I've been uh, watching how professional sports, like NASCAR, and you've seen the whole Bubba Watson um, story, surely, uh, about he thought that there was a noose in his garage. They investigated it was not a noose. But in the, in the two days that it took to do, actually do the investigation before they were able to do that, the whole of the NASCAR family came around him and were saying that they were supporting him uh, even though nothing actually sinister was afoot in that garage with the noose. It had been there for a while. It was no, it was no big deal. And then Al Sharpton comes along and says, it doesn't matter if it was a noose or not. It just reminds us of how horrible things are in this country for African Americans. Professional sports, NASCAR, big businesses now this year again will have to decide whether we want to watch our favorite NFL team because, trust me, most of those on the sideline will be on their knees during the national anthem. And you can have that conversation, you can have that debate, you can do all those things, but here's what happens is that these are unflattering, warped, and twisted characterizations that are taking place that put everybody in the same category. So as a church, if you're a Christian, the category we're in right now is that we are uh, horrible people and that we've committed genocide against every um, indigenous population that we've ever come in contact with. So you're a killer, just so you know. Now we have people who are attacking the whole of the police departments. And we see people, police kneeling, or there are people in police are being encouraged to kneel, not in reverence to Christ, but to show their support of a Marxist group called Black Lives Matter. Someone says, do you believe Black Lives Matter? You say, well, yeah, I think Black Lives Matter, but I don't think the Marxist group that calls them Black Lives Matter does. I think they're wrong. I love all people. But see, in the fine-sounding arguments over their day, we're encouraged to choose. It's not about our prayer and petition to bring glory and, and holiness to God. It is the devil scheming in our lives once again to cause us to forsake our created purpose of giving glory to God and living in His glory in our lives. We get bogged down in the arguments and the murmurings and the ugliness instead of shining like the stars we should. It's important that we remember that we have fulfilled facts that guide us, and that is that Christ Jesus has saved us from every sin. He has given solutions for every problem, and we must look to Him. And He gives us freedom. He's fulfilled that freedom that we need from slavery or oppression or whatever. And if someone says they're siren for that, say, I got the solution for you, friend. It's Christ Jesus who said it's free from all sorts of slavery and oppression. 
It's important for us to remember that we have been living in God's favor, in his blessing of grace and goodness. And I'm just reminded of Ephesians 4, 11 and following, which warns us that, this, that Satan is always deceitfully scheming through the words of others to rob us of our maturity. Now, Jesus Christ came to this earth to fulfill our creative purpose in which we have failed. And right now, I think the world is trying to get us to look to the culture and its failure and its crookedness and its warpedness and argue and get caught up and bound in that. When Jesus just wants us to live for him in his freedom in his favor. Like Adam and Eve and everyone who's followed, we have believed the fine-sounding arguments offered by Satan, and we have eaten the forbidden fruit instead of enjoying the glorious fruit God lavishes, lavishes upon us through Christ. And only through Christ can we be saved from this travesty. And it takes some form in every generation and every culture. We have 6,000 years of historical proof that Jesus works. It's been the plan from the very, very beginning. And we need to let him work through our lives and fulfill our created purpose. Because that's the point of Jesus. This Christocentric narrative of humankind is stupid simple. We failed. Jesus came and has fulfilled so that we can have freedom. We can have the facts. We can live in God's favor. We can have life. Shine in the brightness of a dark night as stars which give glory to God and allow you to live in the glory of Him in your daily life. Let's pray.